Hi, and welcome to the Anfield Index podcast, the Norwegian edition. In this podcast, we will try to give you all an insight into what it is to be a supporter of LFC in Norway. With me on this pod, I'm joined by fellow supporters Joseph, Ole, and Torbjörn. My name is Martin, and I will be your host. The pod will be in three parts. In the first, we will talk about how we came to support Liverpool and what that's like. In the second, our esteemed member from the official Norwegian supporters club, Torbjörn Platin, editor of the monthly fanzine The Kopait, will tell us how Liverpool came to have such a massive following in Norway. And finally, uh, we will talk a bit about the Champions League and current affairs of the club. So, Joseph, if you can tell me a bit about how you found the club. Yeah, when I was young, uh, I didn't have any family members that tried to get me interested in a football club because my family aren't very interested in football. So it was all due to my friends mostly. And my friends were divided into Manchester United supporters and Liverpool supporters. The ones who tried to get me into Manchester United didn't really succeed because I didn't like the club from a very early point in my life. And I'm very happy with that. But for me, it was one moment that really made me decide to become a Liverpool supporter. It was in 2005. When I mentioned that, everyone assumes it is in the Champions League final. But It happened a bit earlier. It was when we played in the Champions League against Juventus because my first game, and I remember I saw Luis Garcia with that beautiful volley past Buffon. And from that moment on, I was completely hooked. And it didn't, it also helped that a few weeks later we won the Champions League. But from that moment on, I was a Liverpool supporter. Okay, that's a nice story. I like it. What's your best? moment so far what's the thing that sticks out the best in your memory I, i really thought it through and I, th- i think although it's very easy to say that it was the champions league final or any of the other finals we've played I, i think it is it has been this season that we played just now and being able to experience a real experience a real push for the title with all my friends at university and being able to go every week to the bar and know that we'll be able to crush Arsenal or Tottenham and so on. It was just such a thoroughly good experience. And I really hope we'll, and I think we'll uh, be experiencing more of those, hopefully this season as well. Yeah, of course, not the only one about that. Ola, what's about you? How did you find the club? My family has always been interested in sports, but my mom and dad didn't follow a specific team in England, just a local team in Tromsø, which is the town in northern Norway where I'm from. However, my cousin became a huge Liverpool fan during the 70s and 80s, and he pushed it on to me. <laughs> he kept buying me the Norwegian Supporter Club um, magazine, which you get eight a month. And that was a really good source for info. But also, you could check the scores on teletext, on the TV. But um, as soon as internet came and the coverage in Norway grew on the Premier League, so did my interests for Liverpool. And now I watch every game, bar maybe one or two. Uh, that's not because I don't want to see them. It's because they don't show on the TV or... I'm at a camping trip or something. But today, it's these days, it's really good to follow Liverpool. So I'm really happy about that. Yeah, that was a good story. And uh, what is your best LFC moment so far? 
me and a couple of friends went over to the Champions League semi-final in 2007 against Chelsea. When we were outside the stadium, a radio channel got over and interviewed us. And they asked me what kind of score I thought it would be. I said it would be 1-0 and we will win on penalties. And as you all know, uh, Coit scored a winning goal uh, or winning penalty. And I was behind the goal when it happened. And it was so amazing. Everybody was crazy around me. Old men hanging around and kissing me on the cheek. I didn't know. <laughs> it's a great story. Sounds like a lot of fun. I'm a, I have to admit I'm a bit envious in, uh, of not uh, having been there myself. Just watching it on the telly. And uh, Torbjörn? Uh, you're a bit older than the rest of us. How did you find the club? Because we all have sort of grown up with the internet and instant access to everything. So uh, how how yeah. was it for you? Yeah, that's right. In um, in 1969, Norwegian television started to show live games from England. And every kid who was a football fanatic then uh, uh, had to support an English team. Uh, so, uh, I, I, you know... Quickly had a kind of likening to Liverpool, but uh, I think I really decided that that would be my team before the 1971 FA Cup final because my uh, my my dad was an Arsenal supporter, so I wasn't going to support Arsenal, was I? so uh, so I supported the other team. I supported Liverpool, and uh, since then uh, I have been uh, it's been only Liverpool for me. That's cool, and uh, you of course have a much broader. Spectre to pick from, but do you think you can pick a favorite moment or a player uh, experience with the club? Yeah, it's it's, it's difficult. Isn't it? I think actually the first time that I went into the cup, went over in the 1980 season and watched the home game against Nottingham Forest. That was uh, the first home game I watched from the cup. And in those days, you, you went up the stairs behind the cup. Uh, and the moment when I just got in there and and watched something I always, you know, wanted to to be and uh, always uh, dreamt about, I think that was uh, really special. It's always it's easy to say Istanbul regarding a match things, but possibly from a personal point of view, I say the 1986 final against Everton, uh, one nil down at half time and turning it around, and I, I was in the Everton end. Uh, that my uh, that um, afternoon, and uh, I think that's probably just overshadowed uh, Istanbul for me. Uh, regarding players, uh, I, I grew up with Kevin Keegan, uh, so he was my first hero, and uh, my second and biggest hero was uh, Kenny Dalglish. So it's it's the small number sevens uh, for me uh, at Liverpool. Well, they tend to be special pl- kinds of players, don't they? Number seven. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think it for the new generation. I don't think it means as much as from those who you know followed Liverpool through the seventies and eighties. But uh, it's uh, it's been uh, it's been a bit special, hasn't it? You know, and uh, I, I think it's good that uh, the clubs try to keep that uh, kind of uh, you know uh, try to get the special player to to have that shirt. I hope they continue that. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. I'm just going to tell my own origin story. Uh, my uncle is a huge Liverpool fan, and he pushed the club on me early. 
but uh, we never really had the channels while I grew up. So uh, after uh, the Premier League stopped being, or Division One became Premier League, and uh, stopped being sent on uh, the equivalent to BBC in Norway, uh, the Norwegian Broadcasting Company, uh, you had to pay to watch the games, and uh, my dad just wasn't interested in doing that because he wasn't uh, a football uh, interested person. So I tried to keep uh, updated on the results through teletext and later the internet. Sort of, I kept the club around, but I wasn't following that intensely. Uh, but I was aware and I could at least watch the Champions League games because they were sent on public television, thankfully. However, for me, in uh, 2008-2009, I was in the Norwegian army and suddenly I had a lot of time on my hands and a lot of people around me who were also crazy about football. And uh, every weekend, the rec room area would be divided in two, LFC supporters and Manchester United supporters. And it was a great moment when we twice during the season uh, won against the Manx. So, as our platoon commander even was a Liverpool supporter, after uh, the 4-1 at Old Trafford, uh, when uh, we were doing morning PT, everyone but the Liverpool supporters had to do an extra mile run. So that's what really kicked it on for me. And after that, I started watching every game I could. And of course, I joined the official supporter club here in Norway, so I can stay up to date. Uh, my best LFC moment, I think, is this season, just in general, because it's been such a great feeling, uh, because unlike 2008-2009, we didn't fall away towards the end, we kept it going all the way. That 3-2 against City was just something else. I had goosebumps all day after that victory. I've never seen so many grown men crying. And I'm not sure how that game was for the rest of you, but at one point I thought I was going to have a heart attack and I'm only 25. Yeah, I was there with you, uh, as you know. <laughs> People went crazy at the place we watched it. Was it... A and, football uh, pub in Oslo. Yeah, and <laughs> we. Uh, it was an early game, right? So Yes. We, we started drinking way before the match started and not had a great deal of bre breakfast before and we got pretty shit-faced afterwards. But uh, <laughs> it was an amazing match. All right. I want you all to talk a bit about what it's like being a Norwegian-based supporter. Is it difficult to follow the club or do you find that it becomes... It's not that hard. Do you find yourself arranging games over other commitments or trying to sort of make sure parties or other events don't coincide with the games? Joseph? In general, it's very easy being Norwegian Liverpool supporter uh, because we are close to England. So if we want to go and watch a game, we're very easily able to do so. And we're only one hour after England. So the, the games are played in good times as well, unlike some other places. And also to add, I mean, when you grow up, you you have a lot of Liverpool supporters there with you. And so so it, you're not frozen out being the only supporter of one club. You're with a lot of supporters. 
And with the arranging of games, everyone knows here in family or with my friends, if Liverpool's playing, I, I'm going to watch the game. I don't care if it's your birthday or anything like that. I have to watch the game. And if we lose, I don't want anyone to talk to me. I want to be by myself. And if we win, I'll be happy for the week. So what about yourselves? Yeah, no, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. How about you, Ola? Do you uh, have it the same way? Yeah, I tried to avoid having an appointment on the match day. Of course, my girlfriend thinks that there are a lot of games of the course of the season. But uh, I tried to make her happy with cleaning extra before or after the game or cooking. So I can be alone for the two hours or three hours. I'm watching the game and the previews and the broadcast after the game. Well, it sounds like a nice trick to get the time you need. Yeah, it works, usually. <laughs> That's good. And uh, what about you, Torbjörn? Oh, the Liverpool game is always a special event, isn't it? You know, I always uh, make sure I, I get to watch it or... Well, you can basically watch every game now, can't you? Even from Norway. I'm also now in the previous position that I'm uh, employed by the supporters club, so uh, it's uh, it's my living as well. So it's uh, definitely uh, definitely affecting my life. That's that's for sure, and uh, it has been for thirty odd years, and I guess it will be to my dying day. Do you, can you recall any special moments where you chose watching a game over doing something else? Well, I always watch the game, really, but I, I don't know. Uh, in the in the early days, you know, when you had live games uh, from England, um, you maybe watched Liverpool two three times a season. It wasn't like today when you can watch basically every game. But uh, even then, it was a special occasion to just watch live game from England. Uh, so I, I just remember my grandfather uh, had uh, his 80th birthday when the FA Cup final was in '87. But it wasn't Liverpool playing either. It was Tottenham against Coventry. There was no no way we were going to miss that game, so we made sure that we got the television set uh, in the room, room next door and watched it from there. Uh, another occasion, uh, which I actually just remember now, was uh, in uh, bef- before um, 1974 FA Cup final. I had a bike accident, so I was in the emergency at the hospital on Friday night, uh, a concussion. And, and on Saturday, you know, I, I had to kind of uh, get my father to to make sure that I was able to uh, was given permission to watch the game, and it was not an easy task because there I was with you know uh, two black eyes and concussion. But uh, in the end, I just got a small television set in my room, and uh, I can watch Liverpool beat uh, Newcastle three 0 So uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, there was no way I was going to miss that game either. Thank you, that was a fantastic story. So, in Norway, as in uh, Sweden, they were on a pod earlier. You don't have to sort of take too much time out of your life to uh, get to watch the game because they're basically on at the same time as in England, but one hour ahead, of course. And uh, thanks to the internet, every game is mostly available. Myself, I had one experience about in during this season, actually, where uh, I was at uh, a brunch with my girlfriend's family before the Chelsea at Anfield game and I was in a full kit uh, wearing a sweater with the logo 
and uh, with a shirt underneath and a scarf and uh, the moment that it was getting near to kick off i just excused myself and ran off and no questions were asked thankfully but my girlfriend's very understanding of my passion for the club and as long as uh, try to sort of make sure she has uh, the time she wants for attention as well it's going to be fine of course I'm in a better mood whenever we win a game, as I'm sure most of you all are as well. But I found I've been able to, for the most part, to avoid feeling too down when we lose a game. With uh, ex- obvious exceptions, of course. The Chelsea game this season was a horrible feeling. Uh, it was like a pit in my stomach, seeing Gerard slip like that. And that fantastic corner near the end as well. Who can forget that? Yeah, I'm the last buffer. <laughs> Our brilliant number nine, but he looked very promising when he showed up, though. And uh, I'm sad that it didn't work out better for him. Former number nine. Okay, that was part one. We will uh, move on to the second part now. We're um, going to talk a bit about the history of Liverpool as a and uh, Liverpool supporting in Norway. And uh, how did it sort of begin here in Norway, Turbjörn? What was sort of the most, uh, the watershed moment for Liverpool in Norway, especially? I think, I think mainly it was live games. I mean, even before that, since the Second World War, we had English games on the Fulskupong in the winter because there's no no football in Norway during the winter because of the climate. But uh, so, so the connection with England was always there. And I think a lot of people kind of knew the names and maybe one or two other players, but we, we didn't really uh, see them much on television. You know, I mean, I knew I was eight years old when the World Cup was in 1966. So I can't remember the old game from, from that. And we just got... Uh, uh, black and white uh, television uh, set in our house then, but uh, I think it was live games in from '69. Uh, really, you know, started uh, you know it started to, to take off, and you know, it was not only the live game, but you had the pool scoping with the twelve games, and you you could follow the scores from the other games and things like that. And and and, and if if it's shown on television, it's also uh, big news in the newspapers, in the media. So uh, that helped as well. And and um, you know, basically, to it, uh, you know, went on from there. And I think also later on, when uh, we had uh, a decent national team in uh, in the nineties, and there started to be a lot of in, uh, Norwegian players starting to play in the, in the English Premier League. I think that you know uh, did a lot for the interest as well. Uh, we uh, we certainly uh, noticed that you know regarding the membership uh, numbers uh, when when the recent players started to, to play in England. So, uh, but overall, for some reason, I think the the, the interest for English football in in Norway has been special, and I think even compared to Sweden and Denmark, it's it's always been more interest. In Norway, for for English football, uh, for instance, the Danes, I think they. Maybe I looked a bit more, you know, down on the continent to Italian football and Spanish football, but uh, in that way, it's always been there. But it's always, you know, grown, grown all the time. And uh, as you said, now you, you can basically pick and choose what game games you want to watch on television. It's interesting what you're saying there, and I also imagine that uh, all the sailors we had, especially from the tail end of the Second World War and up until the late 80s. 
also probably had some influence in bringing Liverpool to Norway. I think so, and also the culture. You know, I think I think we we like the way you play football in England, the honest way. You know, also the what you do. You know, on on the terraces and things like that. You know. Uh, I think it's a bit the same in Norway. You know, it's we we like the you know a bit of physical stuff and you know the honest, uh, hardworking uh, footballer and, uh, and things like that. You know, the, the aggression, if you like. I think uh, in a way that's that's a bit similar. I think and it's it's just I think it's just, it's, it's all around a, a good connection with with Norway and and Great Britain. Really. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And of course, uh, one of the traditional Norwegian dishes is the namesake for scousers lobscouse yes yeah so <laughs> and, we, and we have the vikings as well you know the connection there so uh, yeah no, it's, we, it's, we it's, made a few trips to england yeah yeah so now it's a good match and uh, if you can talk a bit about uh, sort of how the supporter club came to be founded what was the motivation behind that yeah, it, it was actually a guy called Thomas Bergam Larsen. He's actually on, on, on our committee now, but he he um, he started briefly. He, he was in the military as well. In the late uh, 70s, uh, you know, uh, for a few months, uh, he tried to get the supporter club going. And uh, uh, in the end, uh, he, he didn't have the time. So we, so we asked uh, a couple of us who has been, you know, uh, most active, uh, sending letters and stuff like that. You know, there was no mobile phones or anything then. So you, you wrote the letter. He had a kind of member uh, membership sheets that they sent out, like you know, a couple of pages. And in the end, it was decided that me and a guy called Paul Muller should meet up in Oslo at uh, Paul, Paul's house. And uh, so in August 1980, we decided that we should, you know, try to to start a supporter club. And uh, I think the, the main objective then was to try to inform. All, all the Norwegian Liverpool supporters, and um, uh, because even though you, you you watch the old live game, there was very, very little information in the in the newspaper. Sometimes you know you had to go down to the shop to to buy an uh, English newspaper on Monday morning to get the results. But, but it, it, you know, I think during the first year we went from I think we were about fifty. 50 members for the first first magazine. We, we need to kind of just photocopied on uh, on a sheet of papers and then you know just made a magazine, a small, very simple magazine out of it. And for instance, Tove Solbakken, who used to be manager of Wolverhampton, he was one of the first 30 members. I think uh, 11 year old or something. By the first first year, I think we had about almost 500, and and uh, then it's just escalated. Uh, I think. As I said, I seem to remember <coughs> that when we played, before we played against Brann, Bergen in 1996, Liverpool played against Brann, we had about 4,000 members, I think. But after that game, one or two years after that, that had, the, reason was, the reason was that the Norwegian players went to England also, but also because of that game, I think, and... And also, you know, regarding television, more games on television. And uh, that's also when we, as a supporter club, started, you know, to decide that uh, we had to do this a bit more professional. And uh, it started with me then being uh, fully employed. That, that was the beginning, really. Okay. It sort of kicked on from there, I assume. Has, has yeah, there well, been I mean, any... it's, it's been, a, I would say, it's, from then it's been kind of steady progression. And now we have about 38,000. But it, it's been not been... 
it's partly uh, influenced by uh, results. You know, we, for instance, after Istanbul, we, we noticed uh, a bit of change, but, bit, but not not major. Even in those, you know, some will say disappointing years in the 90s, it didn't really, we were still growing. The supporter club, you know, is, is never really going downwards uh, at any time. So it's just been a steady interest that has grown, really. Judging by the quality of the magazine, it also seems that you're highly regarded in England as well, since uh, very often you have interviews with players, current players at the club. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, I think we, t- times have changed. And I think there was a time, uh, especially late 90s, I think, when we, we had uh, you know very good access to Melwood and you know, allowed in like Roy Evans and managers and stuff like that. Today it's a bit different. Uh, we get the occasional uh, interview with the first team player, and I think we have just have to be satisfied with that because the competition is, is so huge and the interest is so huge now. But uh, I, th- I think we, we have you know behaved ourselves well, and I think we are respected within the club. I like to think. Not sure if nothing, not not much to add there. There really, you know, it's it's been a you know, it, it changed a bit when, when Gerard Houllier came in and, you know, you, they, you know, rebuilt Melwood. Then you have, uh, you know, uh, your own press officer and you know, stuff like that. And, and uh, it's, it, it became a little bit more difficult. But uh, it's, uh, we're still being able to do the odd, odd thing. And we have a very good relationship with the academy, for instance. And, you know, always have uh, exclusive interviews from there. So That is... Uh... A good thing to have. I, I know the, noticed that uh, every now and again you're organizing uh, supporters clubs and uh, supporter trips uh, over to watch games. Did you do that in the beginning as well? Well, it's not, it's not uh, now and again now because we, we have trips to every home game. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we I think we usually had the first season we had, that was 80-81 season, we had two uh, what I would call very unorganized trips, really, but we had a small group that uh, Paul, uh, my you know my partner, sort of, uh, he too took the first group at Christmas, and I took the second one at Easter. I think that that you know even then it was rare for Norwegians to go to England, you know, early eighties. But if you went, uh, you often went maybe at Christmas because there was a lot of games, or especially at Easter. And you maybe can get three games in four days. So uh, I'm not sure. I think it was probably late 80s, early 90s when we had when in when we, I don't I don't know four or five years maybe we started to get have some connection with the travel agency. I, I don't remember really you know how many trips we had the first few years. Maybe it was two or three t- trips for a few years, and then if there was a final, uh, if we can get tickets, and uh, we had uh, had a trip, but. Uh, it was only really, I think, from the 90s that it was uh, starting to get really organized. And uh, as I said, now we have trips for, for uh, every home game. Yeah. But, uh, do you have any sort of memorable trips from those early years that uh, stood out? I don't know. <laughs> A lot of happenings on those trips, I can assure you. But uh, I think probably for me personally, the most memorable trip was... I think it was the second trip I had, and it was it was at Easter. Uh, no, yeah, possibly the first one. I think actually it was the first one. And we were very inexperienced, like, uh, but we wanted to go to Melbourne, and hopefully we we uh, we could get into to watch the training. But 
for some reason we didn't really have the courage to knock on the door there. So we we um, we climbed up on the on the wall. We can watch the players come in and the you know, on the uh, during these days, you know, they they all changed at Anfield and came in uh, on the coach uh, down to Melbourne. And you can watch the, the players coming out and what pace the manager coming out. And I thought, you know, this is the moment. So. So I jumped over the wall and uh, and I I walked uh, down to Bob Paisley and asked you know please uh, sir uh, we are six people six guys from Norway here uh, is it possible that we can watch the training uh, and he agreed to it so I think that was uh, a very special afternoon for all of us uh, being able to sit on the veranda at Melbourne and watch the training and get uh, autographs and things afterwards and uh, I think that's probably have to be. Uh, be and be special for me. Certainly sounds like a really special <laughs> uh, moment. I don't think you would uh, ever get that happening today. However nice Brendan Rogers is. No, 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 he's gone. I think possibly if you know Roy Evans uh, once allowed a coach Norwegians to come inside and watch the training, but. Uh, I think it, it kind of went with him, unfortunately. Thank you very much for telling that story. Very interesting. And uh, we'll uh, move it along to our final part, where we'll uh, start with a Champions League preview. It's been five years now since the last time we qualified. And we're going straight into the groups as a third seed. Joseph, what's your ideal or worst group stage draw for Liverpool? It, it's quite difficult to decide because we are uh, in the third part. So we will most likely get a quite difficult group. But it, it depends really what you want to and how far you think Liverpool is going to get. If you want as many good games at, at Anfield as, uh, as possible, you, you, try to, you, can, you can hope for the better teams like getting a Madrid, Dortmund and Roma, which will be the group of death this year if, if that were to happen. Or if you're a bit lucky, luckier, you can get like a Benfica, Basel, and uh, some more or less unknown from the fourth pot. But personally, for me, I would love it if we got Barcelona, uh, because I, I really want Luis Suarez to come back and experience how it is to be thrashed on a Wednesday night at Anfield. But I, I, I really don't know uh, how, what I want now, but... If, if we get a decent group with uh, one good team and then two other teams that are beatable, I'd be very happy. So, for example, a Zenit or, or Basel and uh, an Underlecht from the, the fourth pot with us and Barcelona, I'd be very happy. But the worst case scenario is if we get such a difficult group that we aren't able to get through because I really want us to get past the group stage and into quarterfinals that that would be considered successful i like the way you think uh, how about you Ola? what's your opinion on uh, the groups possible group stage draw for liverpool <laughs> my best and worst groups are really combined the most difficult group is the one that i want because i'm so happy to be back in champions and um, I want to have those Wednesday and Tuesday night games at Anfield with all the supporters cheering them on. I want Barca and Dortmund and Roma in the same group so we can test ourselves. And I think we could probably qualify anyway. Uh, but as Josef uh, said, I also want Suarez back at Anfield 
if it's eligible to play, that is. Maybe we can beat them and we can see a fourth Suarez bite and some Neymar tears. That would be great. <laughs> but yeah, I don't want a typical easy Manchester United group that they get every year. And usually they go through and... But it's just because they're so bad the teams they're meeting so I, I i really want to have a strong group and people would say we deserved getting through the group and how far we would go i don't know it depends oh, we, we can talk on that a bit later yeah okay what about you turbjorn do you have any hopes and wishes for the champions league no i think i'm i'm fairly you know saying what joseph said regarding the toughest and easiest group here i think you know Bayern munich uh, dortmund and uh Roma or maybe Monaco uh, from the fourth uh, tire would would be the, the most difficult, and maybe Porto, Basel. I, I like to to get Celtic to be honest. If they can get in the group uh, stages, I think they will be a good uh, um, opponent, and they will be in the fourth for fourth uh, seeding group. So um, I think so. Uh, but you know, whoever we gets, you know, I'm just you know going to look forward to it, and I think. I think Brendan Rodgers had a saying that I liked last season, and he said that uh, they, uh, yeah, <clears throat> Liverpool had recovered the soul uh, as a club. He said, and I think regarding you know uh, the fans meeting uh, the coach outside Anfield and thing, and, and whoever we draw, it will be you know some really special nights, and uh, I think we have a decent chance. But uh, if I'm honest, I, I will, especially from the second uh, seeding uh, group, I think I would rather have. Uh, one of the so-called easy easy teams, really. So, so we have a, a you know very good chance to uh, to get through the the cup game through to the cup cup games. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. Uh, I think it would be special if we get one of the bigger teams from the first seed, and then it's it's kind of written in the stars that we'll get Barcelona, isn't it? <laughs> I think. So. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree <laughs> with you. Bet against it, at least uh, has a tendency to happen. Yeah. For example, when we sold Torres to Chelsea, the first game after the window yeah. was, of course, Chelsea. So, but we won that game, so at least we know we'll win against Barcelona at Anfield. Thank you. I think Liverpool are still the only team that been, you know, uh, winning at Camp Nou two times. I think. Uh, yeah, only only English team to not lose a game at Camp Nou. Yeah. Do you guys have any predictions for the tournament? Not just for Liverpool, but. The Champions League in general past the group stages. Who who do you think see as the most likely semi finalist, for example? Given that Barcelona have added Luis Suarez and Real Madrid today confirmed that they've bought James Rodriguez. I think I think you know the the power has changed a little bit the last couple of seasons, hasn't it? You know, now it's Real Madrid and Barcelona and Bayern and Dortmund, you know, they they have been the really big clubs while there are some very big clubs in England as well, and I'm sure they will come back. But certainly last season, I don't think there was any other top top uh, teams in the Premier League that has uh, had that kind of uh, you know really special uh, year. Uh, Man City and Chelsea uh, all had you know for some reason you know it it, uh, it wasn't you know perfect for them and. Uh, 
So uh, I would say if, if in, in English clubs will do very well if they can get one team into the semi-finals. I'm not going to disagree with that. Hopefully they'll, it'll be our men in red. Joseph, do you have anything? I agree with Todd uh, you, you really can't look past Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Bayern, and you, you probably you expect them to get unless something happens in the quarters in the group uh, to the semifinals. And I also agree about the English teams, and I think it also will be difficult for Manchester City to get through, and probably more likely to be Chelsea because as much as we hate him, Mourinho is pretty decent uh, to get to the semi semifinal. After that, it's usually stopped. And as well with the the amount of or the transfers Chelsea's made with Diego Costa and Fabregas and so on, that they they look to be one of the stronger English teams that probably has the best chance to get through. Well, I agree they look strong on the paper, but whenever Chelsea buy a star striker, they have a tendency to not be that great. Just look at Shevchenko, Crespo and Torres. They've never really replicated their form for Chelsea as they did in the other teams. Torres became good though in Liverpool. Who? Torres. Yes, but he wasn't a star signing by Chelsea. And uh, Ola, what do you think about the Champions League uh, Cup stages? going to be the usual suspects, I guess, with Bayern and Real Madrid and Barcelona. You can't look past those teams with the investments they're doing. And, um, but I would not be surprised if uh, Liverpool or some of the other surprise teams could get through to uh, at least a quarter or semi-final. Uh, I don't have as bad as you guys um, a view on Manchester City. I think uh, they will focus on the Champions League this year. And they have uh, bought some players that could um, cover the places that have had some <laughs> holes in the previous years. Uh, so I, I will actually bet that Manchester City goes farther than Chelsea this year however long that is okay and then uh, finally we'll move on to our last uh, point on the agenda are you guys happy with the transfers so far we'll start there we've gotten four players in uh, it looks like we'll be getting Loic Rumi and young Spanish right back on the loan uh, Joseph what do you think? I really like the signing, especially with uh, Markovic and Emre Can. I think they're very exciting and can be can develop into extremely good players in a few years. Other than that, we'll have to wait and see. It looks, as you said, as Lovren is coming in and uh, Remy as well as Origi. And recently with that young uh, right back, Manquillo, if I'm not butchering that name. I think it's good that, that Roger is really looking at sort of our weak spots and trying to bring in good players uh, and also improving the squad now that we're going to play an additional couple of games. And also hopefully being able to get in, get a bit further into like the, the League Cup and the FA Cup, which we have been quite dismal in uh, recently. So at the moment I'm very happy, but... We'll just have to wait and see. It's still July, and we'll probably look to getting the Moreno deal hopefully up because it's been quite long. And as Tony Evans mentioned in one of the former podcasts, he he thinks that we might be able to tie that up in the future. 
Yeah, I, uh, I I agree completely. And uh, what about you, Ola? Uh, I really loved the Lambert signing. Uh, when Suarez uh, was still at the club, I thought he was the perfect uh, third striker uh, behind them. And now, uh, as when Suarez has left, uh, I still think he has got a lot to offer this season. But uh, I wouldn't put him to be the second striker in the the whole season. Although Remy is, uh, as it seems, uh, coming in. I think that was a real shrewd chance, signing. Uh, fits the money ball. Uh, if, if the price is 8.5 million pounds uh, I, I would expect his value to double the second he signs the contract because uh, I don't understand why he is so cheap if it wasn't for the, the clause in his contract and uh, the other signings um, <laughs> we heard yesterday that P- the Pierce guy from uh, the Liverpool Echo said that Markovic was really great at training and that really sparked my interest. Um, I didn't have that much of uh, opinions of him before um, because I've only seen YouTube and yeah, so I couldn't get too much out of that. And um, I actually think that Chan is the the most exciting signing so far um, because he seems to have some qualities that we have been lacking uh, for some time. I didn't watch the Preston game, uh, but, but but I like his size. I think we'll be too skinny at the midfield, if you could say that. So I, I'm really looking forward to see Chan playing. Um, and Lalana is you know, came with a high price tag, and I have actually really high expectations for him. But I think it's uh, I don't know what kind of role he would be having in the team. I hope for the best, though. Um, so, and um, Javier Manquillo, I'm actually never heard of him before. Seen the links uh, this past couple of days, so I I, I, I don't know. But if he's gonna be a rotation player with uh, Plano and Johnson, uh, I guess that would be alright. And I, I'm I'm happy for Wisdom for his loan to uh, West Brom. I think it would be really good for him. I hope he plays um, centre-back for them, um, because uh, I guess that's what we want him to be. I, I don't, I'm not quite sure, um, but he will certainly become better. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think it's uh, a great loan, especially seeing as he got the number two shirt. It's a good sign that he'll probably have gets a lot of game time, hopefully. Torbjörn, what about you? What do you think of the transfers so far? It's, it's very interesting to uh, you know watch Twitter and think you know uh, all the opinion uh, fans have you know I think it's uh, with the players we got in it's it's a lot about you know either the glass is half full or half empty really <laughs> uh, I think probably mine is is more half full uh, I'm fairly pleased I think you know for uh, I think Markovic looks a very exciting uh, signing uh, maybe a bit early to expect really big things of him the first season but I think he could turn out to be a very good player uh, and we. Uh, if he if he arrives, which I'm sure he will, uh, and uh, and also Lambert, I think will be a great value for me. I'm not possibly in the minority, but I 
I think uh, Dejan Lovren would be a very good signing. And uh, I had an interview with Klaus Lundekom, who is a legend in Southampton, uh, a few weeks ago. And and he said that uh, of uh, Alana Lambert and Lovren, uh, he would you know rather that Southampton uh, was able to keep Lovren because he was he was a leader. Him and uh, Schneiderlin was the two who really uh, was the glue in in the, that promising Southampton team and. Uh, in the defense, uh, Southampton played with very young fullbacks, and last season they, I think, they conceded uh, 43 goals. But the season before, they conceded 60 goals in Premier League, and, I, and he thought a lot of it was down to uh, the organization and you know the leadership of Loren. So I think that that could turn out to be a lot better than they seem to think uh, at the moment. So uh, yeah, you know, uh, I think Brendan Rodgers is trying to knit together a squad here, and uh, you know. Uh, and I think, you know, people talk about, you know, uh, who is going to replace uh, Suarez. I think actually the one who's going to replace Suarez uh, in the manager's mind is Daniel Sturridge. Uh, because I, I think he will be the main striker now. He was, you know, second top goal scorer in Premier League last season. And I think, I think in, in uh, Markovic, in Remy, even Lallana, you know, he is trying now to get in players that can, can play with uh, Sturridge and, and support him. And create more chances, and uh, so as so I, I think it's looked quite good. I hope, obviously, I hope they get in a, a left back as well. I I like the look of Moreno, so I, I hope that they can, you know, sort that out uh, in the end. Uh, but uh, the icing on the cake would be if we could, you know, maybe get one name that you know you feel that can make a, a really difference. Like you know, if you can get in a Marco Royce now, it's a little bit whispering about Arturo Vidal from Juventus. If, you know, for the money that's left, uh, FSG uh, can, uh, you know, dig deep and, and get in a really big name, that, that would be very exciting. But it's always exciting, however you look at it. And uh, as I said, you know, I'm, I'm fairly pleased with what we got so far. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think this uh, summer has felt very different to the last time we came second in the sense that we've actually looked at our problem areas and so far we've tried to strengthen them. We haven't succeeded completely at centre-back and left-back yet, but it seems like there's movement and we're working on it. I, I like the look of uh, a lot of our new young players and I like the idea that we're trying to get them in before their price gets inflated to the prices Real Madrid and PSG and Monaco are paying for them. I think this is a better solution because... If you look back, the uh, we've always sort of had this where we bring in uh, players and uh, right before they're they've made made the next step. So, do you have anything to add, Turbjorn? Yeah, I just you know I did mention Emil Charm. You know, uh, let's talk about him. You know, and uh, I agree. I think he he looks a uh, you know very interesting player, and I think. We lack a bit of, uh, you know, force sort of in, in central midfield and uh, Steven Gerrard won't go on forever. And uh, I think, in a way, Emre Can, he reminds me a bit uh, about Jan Molby when he came from Ajax. I think Emre Can is 20. Uh, Jan was 21, I think, when he came from Ajax. But he had to, he basically had to, you know, use one season to really get to get grips with the the English uh, top league. I think Joe Fagan, after seven or eight games, he put him on the 
in the director's box at Old Trafford and you know told him you know watch this game and and uh, I don't know what it takes to uh, to adapt to the to, uh, you know um, top game of English football and uh, I, th- I think we Sean will probably need some time you know he has the physique and everything and you know he is very good at uh, keeping the ball but I think he will probably need a little bit of time uh, getting used to the intensity of the Premier League. I wouldn't expect him really to uh, establish himself uh, in, at least for the first part of this season, but uh, I think there is something there, like you know, because he has he has that uh, calmness about him, you know, that aura that you know you can see that he, he could become a very very interesting player. That was my input, really. Okay, thank you for that, uh, Ole. You have something to add? Yeah, I was. So I'm going to ask you what you think would happen if Burini went with will Remy be the, the last striker. Uh, but <clears throat> uh, I've thought about it, and uh, I think actually Sterling could be our fourth striker. Uh, I think he could fill fill in the, some of the things we have lost from Suarez. Uh, with um, and he's, I think he's a bit smarter than. Sturridge in in some uh, areas. He just has to get up on the level of uh, Sturridge on finishing. Um, And of course, we have (laughs) if you put Sterling uh, forward, and um, then Ib can fill the role that Sterling had last year. I think it could be could work out really good. That that's an Interesting point you make there. You have something to uh, add to that, Torbjörn? Yeah, as I, as I mentioned, I, I don't think Rogers really are looking at uh, a centre-forward. I think he, he, he looks at uh, players that can play with or or um, you know behind or beside Daniel Sturridge. So I, I don't think it's a problem uh, with, you know, I, I keep hearing people saying that we need four forwards. I'm not so sure. I think, uh, for instance, uh, a player like Markovic could play up, up front with uh, Sturridge. Remy certainly can. So I don't think that's a problem. And then if it happens that you know, uh, in the end, Rogers try to get go for a fairly big name at the end of the window, I have a feeling it would probably be a midfield player rather than a striker. That's my take on it. I I don't disagree with that. Uh, I think that's probably where. Were, uh, the area that would be the most likely to go for a big name because it's sort of a uh, we need to get a, a torchbearer for whenever Gerard's legs stop working as good. You have something to add to uh, Joseph? Yeah, um, I agree with, with the comment about strikers. With Rogers, you, you see a lot of players that we bring in tend to be quite versatile at being able to play in several uh, positions. But also, this season, it'll be very interesting to see how we'll line up with now that we used to play with the Suarez and Sturridge up top. Now the Suarez is gone. If we'll we'll go back to what he sort of started with a 4-3-3 or like what we did uh, at the start of the season with three at the back, I think it will be very interesting to see what Rodgers is able to do or what he thought about doing for next season with regards to formation and how he wants us to play. That's an interesting point you bring up there and uh, two of our 
biggest victories under Rodgers, the 6-0 at Newcastle and the 5-0 at White Hart Lane, both came in the 4-3-3 system when we only had one striker available. Do anyone have anything else to add to this? Or does anyone want to say anything before we sign off? We're only looking forward to the season, that's for sure. Yes, I think we all are. Okay, final question. Will Liverpool win the league? Or would you accept 84 points and guaranteed Champions League next season? Ola? I think it's really scary when you think about it. I don't think United is going to get that much better, but I think they are definitely going to be in the fight for fourth. And you still have Arsenal and City and Chelsea. Uh, it, it's definitely going to be hard to get in that fourth, fourth spot, but I think we're certainly better out after this uh, transfer window than we were last year. Uh, we have lost one great player, but we had several good players has come in. So I'm fairly positive. And to answer your question, no, I won't take a four points. Okay, thank you. Turbjörn, will you take 84 points in guaranteed Champions League or do you think we can win? Oh, that's a difficult one. <laughs> um, I'd rather have that question after the transfer window, to be honest, but I think because I think you you get a clear picture then probably, but uh, I think, uh, you know, people think, you know, talk about, you know, we're losing to Luis Suarez, so we're losing 31 goals and uh, obviously we'll get someone in to score goals, but uh, I think Last season we had a goal difference of 51, and I think uh, the important thing is to uh, improve that. So if you don't score uh, 101 goals, uh, please, we, I, I think we, we should have a very good chance of conceding less than 50. So we have a chance, if I'm honest. I think Chelsea and Manchester City will still be the favourites, especially Chelsea now with the players they assigned. I think they basically uh, messed up a bit last season with uh, their forwards. Manchester City had a big strong squad but uh, so it, it will be a bit tough but I, I don't know um, if, we, if we can get you know a good start again you know why not uh, I, I wouldn't settle for 84 no you know just let's go for it I say okay that's good I like the optimism uh, how about you Joseph would you take it yes or no well I think we can finish fifth and then win the Champions League to take the Champions League from Manchester United but no, I wouldn't take 84. I think we can do better. If we, I agree if we start quite well because we have quite a difficult start with the Southampton and then Tottenham and Manchester City away, if I am not mistaken. But if we can do well, I, I think with Rodgers and if we keep all our players or our key players uh, healthy and not injured, will do really well and hopefully better than this season. So no, I won't take it. And yes, we'll finish first. I like the blind optimism. I'm going to go for blind optimism as well. And I think we'll break 100 goals again. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining me, all of you. Uh, hopefully we'll get to come back sometime. This was the Anfield Index podcast, Norwegian edition. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this as much as we did uh, recording it. And hopefully we get to be ba- come back sometime in the future. A big thank you to Gags and the crew of the Anfield Index podcast. Until next time.